0: UVA wraps up spring football, JMU's FCS playoff run ends, and David meets the new ACC commissioner. We'll talk about all that and much, much more this week on Teal & Barber. Welcome in to episode 49 of Teal & Barber, the Richmond Times-Dispatch and Richmond.com's UVA, Virginia Tech, and ACC sports podcast podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the paper, and joining me here as always, my co-host, the 13-time Sports Writer of the Year and the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, David Teal. David, how are you, my friend?
1: Good morning, Mike. How
0: are you? I'm excellent. Before we get too deep into this, let's uh, give a shout out to our good friend and, and your longtime colleague, Norm Wood, who is uh, leaving the sports writing business. Hopefully Norm will still be around. We'll still get to see him, but uh, he's going another direction with the career and and, and he's going to be missed, David, because uh, as you know very well, he is not only a, an excellent writer and reporter, but great guy to be around.
1: He's a character to be sure, Mike. And <laughs> I have... Uh, shared more rental cars and hotel rooms with Comrade Wood than I care to count, uh, than either of us cares to count, I'm sure. But uh, he, he will be missed. He spent more than two decades uh, chronicling the Commonwealth for the Daily Press and Newport News, and then when it merged, also for the Virginian pilot in Norfolk. But uh, Norm's a treasure and a dear friend.
0: And if you haven't had a chance, he, he penned a uh, farewell column that is, is worth reading. So go find that. I, I thought that was uh, eloquent and, and a nice way, kind of on, on his way out the door of saying goodbye to a, a job that, as he wrote, uh, he absolutely loved during the time he did it.
1: Oh, and it showed. You you, you can tell when, when people love w- what they do, and that certainly applied to, to, to Norm, but he, he, he made the career decision that's best for him and his family. And uh, we all know folks who have exited this business and... Most, if not all of them, have landed quite well. And I am confident that Norm has done the same.
0: Excellent. Well said. Now, David, it, it is a busy time of, of year for those of us who chug on in the college sports world. And uh, UVA men's and women's lacrosse teams, they're both in the NCAA tournament draw. UVA's women's soccer team, unseated in the NCAA tournament, it, it's reached the College Cup, the Final Four. Uh, and the race for the b- baseball postseason, it's heating up, I think, for both Virginia Tech and UVA. So, there's a lots lots going on and uh, as there always is there's lots going on with the ncaa transfer portal let's start there and <laughs> some news for mike young and, and virginia tech basketball and and not not the good kind david um like everybody was really excited when seven-foot center Michael Durr, a transfer from South Florida, uh, committed to, to join the Hokies. He's now backed out of that, decommitted. Uh, he won't be joining the program. This move comes less than a week after very popular Virginia Tech assistant uh, Chester Frazier announced that he was leaving to take a job at Illinois. His alma mater, I know a lot of people on social media Jumped to the conclusion that Durr was going to go with Frazier to Illinois. I talked to a very good source who told me um, pretty bluntly that that Chester Frazier wouldn't play that way. (laughs) Uh, That that it's unlikely that that Durr would end up in Illinois because, um, you know, that's just that's not part of Frazier's plan that that was his alma mater uh, to get back to Illinois, but to take a recruit from tech wouldn't be uh, his style as it was explained to me. So that's not a move we're expecting David. It, it's big news because of, you know, what Durr represented a big body in the, in the middle of that front court. And maybe it, it, it makes Kevin Aluma's ultimate decision here uh, even more important.
1: You, you, you tied it in perfectly, Mike. It, it's a peculiar decision in that Durr, I mean, he signed. I mean, it, 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 his announcement that, that he was coming to Tech is still on the Hokies website. Very, very prominent in, in the basketball section. I mean, it happened less than a month ago. And, I mean, Mike Young is, is quoted in the release. And, you know, here comes this seven-footer from South Florida who played against the Hokies back in 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 the season opening event up in, in Connecticut. And to see him reverse course before he even arrived in Blacksburg is is quite odd. Now whether it's in any way related to Chester Fraser's decision to to, to leave for Illinois, we, we don't know. And then the Keve Aluma piece is what is really intriguing. How does this impact him? How does Fraser's departure, if at all, affect Keve Aluma's thinking regarding the NBA versus Virginia Tech? You know, those are all great unknowns, and I think cause for uncertainty and probably a little bit of anxiety over there, Han Hurst.
0: I'm sure I, I did speak with Mike Young a week ago. I, I don't think he saw this move coming. It was after uh, Chester Frazier had uh, announced that he was leaving. And, and Mike said he was anticipating uh, hiring an assistant sometime this week. Um, so moving quickly in that spot. He also told me still up in the air in terms of what Wabisa Beattie would do. And, um, you know, there's a chance he comes back and plays another season. Uh, there's also the opportunity for him to GA. You wonder now with, with, with this, with Frazier leaving, um does that accelerate Beatty's path into coaching? You also wonder, would Durr not coming, even though he's a center? Um, does Virginia Tech need another body on the court? Maybe more than they need another mind on the bench? It's uh, he's in a, in a fascinating position. Um, and, and bluntly, I feel like his value uh, in both spots keep going uh, keeps going up as these changes come.
1: The hogies need Beatty on the floor. More than they need him on the bench, uh, I, I I think they they really could use that seasoned defensive minded, poised point guard uh, moving forward.
0: Yeah, it is interesting. I think people reacted when I think right with Storm Murphy, one of his commitment photos or Instagram posts uh, had him wearing Beatty's jersey number, if I'm not mistaken, and I think people oh. uh, reacted that way, thinking, okay, well. That must be a sign, but a lot has happened <laughs> since then. And as we referenced earlier, when you're talking about the transfer portal and things like that, uh, things move quickly and, and things change rapidly. Uh, now things have ended and wrapped up for UVA and, and spring football practice. Uh, the Cavaliers held a, a spring game of sorts. I, I was there at Scott Stadium uh they had about 5,000 fans uh, in the building for the final workout of the spring. It was mostly uh, scrimmage-style practicing. Uh, they didn't break into teams or keep score or anything like that. And we got to look, though, at, at what what this offense might be, David. And, and it is intriguing. Um, There is, I don't know if there's a star player that you're fixated on with this offense, but there seems like there's a lot of versatility. There's a lot of weapons and, and, you know, depending how it looks against an actual opponent, the potential for this offense to be kind of intriguing.
1: I agree, Mike. And Robert and I, Virginia's OC, since Bronco Mendenhall arrived from, from Brigham Young, he's always had gadgets in his pocket. You ne- you never know when they might arise. But now, I mean, with all these different versatile athletes that they can put on the field simultaneously with Keaton Thompson and Ira Armstead and Brennan Armstrong. And, oh, by the way, Jelani Woods was a quarterback in in high school before converting to to, to tight end at at Oklahoma State, much like Tony Pouljon. I mean, who knows what kind of things that Dr. Bob might dream up in in, in the offseason. I mean, seriously, he's got all kinds of guys who could throw it. Off, off of a, a reverse or a flea fi- flea flicker, and it, it it's going to be a lot of fun to watch.
0: Yeah, I agree, and I'm glad you mentioned Thompson, the, the, the Mississippi State transfer who uh, suffered a shoulder injury in, in camp a year ago. Took him out of the uh, quarterback competition. You know, you talk about gadgets. I mean, that guy could be Inspector Gadget with all the things that that he can mm-hmm. do. But watching that spring game, spring practice, you realize that he's a full time big time wide receiver now um, they, they got him the ball a ton in very traditional ways. So I think Thompson is explosive and dynamic because of his versatility, but I think we're going to see a big step up in just Keaton Thompson playing wide receiver and going out and running routes and catching passes because uh, he had a couple real nice catches I- in the spring practice. And I think his role in the passing game is going to go from sort of being experimental a year ago, to being a main big-time receiver with then all those gadget and versatile capabilities that you just referenced.
1: Well, with Lavelle Davis's injury, they need him to emerge, correct?
0: Absolutely, and and you know you bring up Lavelle Davis Jr., who uh, is expected to basically miss the season. Bronco said there's a chance yeah. he could be back in November, but uh, at what shape would would that be? And another good sign from this spring game was the emergence of Dontavian Wicks. And Dontavian Wicks was a guy people were really excited about a year ago, and then he suffered one of those Lisfranc Frank injuries in his foot, uh, cost him the season. He kind of stepped into that Lavelle Davis Jr. role now. Wicks doesn't have the, the six foot seven size uh, of Davis, but he caught passes uh, in in the spring game in a variety of ways. I remember him beating a corner up the near sideline for a deep ball. I remember him making a jumping catch over the middle uh, on a short slant route. So there's a lot of things that Dontavian Wicks can do. And he kind of gave you that feel of being maybe the the big play guy that I think UVA fans kind of gasped and worried when uh, Davis went down. Wicks looks like maybe. Um, a year later than expected, he's ready to fill that kind of role.
1: Well, what what has Bronco Mendenhall said on a couple of occasions this spring, Mike? Essentially, since Davis's injury, they need to go one for one now. Wicks needs to fill that role. They thought they were going to have both, but now they're essentially trading them, and he's got to provide what Davis did a year ago for Brennan Armstrong, kind of that safe harbor.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now on the other side of the ball, I look at this Virginia secondary and it's a pretty deep group. Now it's the double-edged sword. You know, I I started my career uh, the first year covering high school football in the Harrisonburg area. And and I always laughed when we were doing the the preseason previews and coaches would say, oh, I bring back 10 of 11 starters on defense. And then I'd look back and be like, well, you only won one game and your defense was terrible. So is it good news or bad news? Uh, But Virginia, which struggled with big plays in the secondary, uh, they do bring a lot of guys back. I was really impressed in the spring game by Anthony Johnson, the, the Louisville corner. Uh, the, the physicality he brought in, in coming up to play the run, uh, the energy he brought. Um, and I asked Bronco Menenhall about it. You know, after the spring game, with all of these pieces, all these guys returning, uh, and these new pieces coming in. North Dakota State transfer Josh Hayes joins the program in the fall. Uh, you know, kind of how he viewed the, the different positions and the depth. And you know, he gave me the old. We're gonna play the, the best guys but he also dropped a nugget of they're planning on playing even more of more of a three three five five defensive backs on the field because hey you know when he got here I think he felt like linebackers was a strength and he was playing with four linebackers and now it feels a little bit more like DB is the strength and um, so I think you're going to see a lot more of, of what to our eyes would be a 335 alignment for this Virginia defense.
1: I think Hayes is really intriguing. If you've played a lot of football in North Dakota State, chances are you've got game. And I, I would anticipate him being a factor in the fall. Now, granted, he's he's got to get up to speed on the academic side and on the football side. He's not there in the spring. But, man. Anybody who's played that much football for the premier program in in FCS, I think can help you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you wonder with the what ifs, but if he could have been there in the spring, uh, what that might have done to the depth chart, but uh, certainly a chance. And and again, it goes back to what we talked about the big plays and giving up big plays and um, you know, Bronco Mendenhall won't be shy about inserting Hayes in the starting lineup. uh, If that's the best lineup, you've got a a guy like Devontae Cross, who's played both corner and safety. So Mm -hmm. you've got some pieces that you can move around. Anthony Johnson, the Louisville uh, transfer could conceivably play safety or or nickelback. So you've got some pieces you can move around. It's it's going to be interesting and uh, a lot of interesting things about this Virginia team. And, And that brings us to this week's edition of Who You Got. Thank you, Mike. Let's revisit a question we asked a couple of weeks ago with Lavelle Davis Jr. out, likely for the entire season. What UVA football player are you most looking forward to watching play this fall? Let's start with Mike. So I'm going to go the obvious route and say Dontavian Wicks. And we just talked about it, but um, Bronco has said, this is a one for one. And yeah, man, think of what the offense might've been with, with both of those guys. But you know, Wicks was the player we were talking about, not Lavelle Davis Jr. Uh, in the preseason a year ago. And, talking about as a guy who could take the top off the defense stretch a defense vertically uh he's got the speed he's got the athleticism he's very hungry <laughs> after missing last season so um uh, the guy now and consider me one of those guys who's taken the bait off of the spring game uh, i know we've seen guys for uva guys for tech have big springs and, and then that was it but um Dontavian wicks to me is the guy that he kind of wet my appetite and, and i'm hungry now for some more thank you mike david
1: I'm going to be a little more traditional and and as tempted as I am to go with Keaton Thompson. I'm going to say Brennan Armstrong. He's going to have the ball in his hands virtually every play. In his first season as a starter last year, he averaged nearly 300 yards a game total offense. He can move it with his arm. He can move it with his feet. I'm just going to say the quarterback. I'm, I'm really, really interested to see how Armstrong progresses.
0: I think that's a great answer because Armstrong as a, a good player, uh, maybe this is a good team, but if Armstrong has elevated his game, which he could, Right? I mean, he, he was the leading rusher last year, didn't get much help from the traditional run game. UVA has plans in place and an offensive line and backs to take some pressure off him there, which. Yes, it may cut down on his rushing yardage total, but I think it's going to increase his big plays because he's going to pick and choose his spots. He's not going to be taking that beating. Um, If he's developed further in the passing game with all these weapons we've been talking about, I think it's a great answer because I think Brendan Armstrong could be a star quarterback in the ACC, and that just brings this Virginia offense to another level. Now, while Virginia and Virginia Tech were going through their spring practices, you know, coaches say their favorite time of year, no games to worry about. Uh Kurt Signetti and JMU, they had games to worry about. <laughs> JMU played what was, I guess it's twenty twenty season here in the spring of twenty twenty one and Midway through their national semifinal game, David, at Sam Houston State, uh, an old rival, Casey Keeler, the Dukes appeared, pointed towards another trip to the FCS championship game. And then, well, you were watching that the wheels kind of came off in the second half. So what went wrong for the Dukes?
1: In a word, everything. (laughs) Uh, I don't know, Mike, in 40 years of watching college football that I've ever seen a game change as quickly as this one did. Sam Houston stayed let, let, let's wrap our arms around this a little bit. Sam Houston scored three touchdowns in the final 222 of the third quarter and then tacked on another one early in the fourth for 28 points in 5 minutes and 6 seconds. I mean that's crazy and did it in a variety of ways hit a 69-yard catch-and-run, 80-yard punt return. JM Youth muffs a kickoff, which was the killer. Mm. Muff that kickoff. Sam Houston recovers four plays later. Go ahead, touchdown. And all of a sudden, a three-touchdown lead at halftime has vanished. And Dukes tried to come back. They end up going down 11. Came back. But then Cole Johnson gets hurt on a two-point conversion. They end up with backup quarterback Gage Maloney in the game late. He takes a sack that knocks him out of conventional field goal range. You know, Ethan Radke, Young man who's an all-American had not missed a field goal attempt all season. You know, a, a, a Richmond area pro young man, and he he wasn't going to be able to kick a 51 yarder into the wind. So they bring the kickoff specialist in. He hasn't attempted a field goal all year, doesn't work out. And then they had they had squandered timeouts in the third quarter, can't stop the clock late, and Sam Houston runs it out.
0: Yeah, you know, David, and, and maybe this will help JMU fans feel a little bit better, but um, as it unraveled, the game I thought of uh, was the reverse for the Dukes, and it was uh, that year that they beat App State uh, in the regular season, and, and if you remember that game, I, I used to cover JMU, so I remember it well, uh, JMU was down <laughs> 21 nothing at halftime. Uh, and was out of the game, right? It was completely lopsided. And you mentioned special teams and in that game. Um, if my memory comes back correctly, it was a 99-yard kick return for Scotty McGee on on the opening kickoff of the second half and this amazing comeback and and they ended up winning that game, I think 35, 32, but um, it was sort of that. I had that feeling in the reverse of, of this one thinking just like there was nothing that indicated uh, things were going to go South on JMU at halftime. And then here you come out and it just, it just felt like, you know, the rolling ball, the the momentum thing, you you just weren't going to, you weren't going to stop it uh, once it got going on you.
1: Yeah, it, and and Mike Green, the, the the JMU defensive end from from Highland Springs, in his post game Zoom, used that word. He said once the momentum turned, it it was really difficult to stop. And Sam Houston was at home, where it has never lost an FCS playoff game. Now sixteen and zero, and saw stat- Casey Keeler, you know, whom you mentioned earlier, the Bearcats coach previously at Delaware, in, in all his stops as a head coach at, at Rowan, at the Division three level, at Delaware, and now at Sam Houston. He's never lost a home playoff game. I think it's 29 or 30 and oh.
0: I mean, that's that's staggering and uh some of our our listeners may remember casey keeler from the infamous bridgewater college rowan uh division three playoff clock game where um the debate over uh the home clock operator at, at bridgewater and um it, rowan uh, ended up losing to, to bridgewater uh in that questionable fashion and years later i remember seeing casey keeler when he was coaching delaware and uh if i brought it up he'd kind of bristle and give you that look of okay Next question, next topic, because it, it still uh, loomed so large with him.
1: Well, and you talk about still looming large. As as Kurt Signetti said after Saturday's game, this is one that everyone involved will remember for a, a long, long time. And it'll be interesting to see how this affects JMU in, in the offseason season. With it being so condensed, and you know, now you've got to turn around and prepare for a traditional fall season, you know, just, just how much of a, of a motivator this is.
0: You know, or the opposite. You, know, you always hope that that's the way your team takes a loss. And you know we all lived it covering Virginia basketball with how they use that that UMBC uh, upset. And you know Tony Bennett talking about it, it would buy you a ticket to somewhere you couldn't go without it. Um, but it can go the other way on you, right? And that's what Kurt Signetti kind of has to guard against here is, um, was this so disheartening uh, that it, it takes the wind away? And a case where, okay, the fact that there's another season, how do you view that? Is it like, okay, we don't have to wait a full year. We, we've only got a couple months to get back and, and get after it. Or is it the opposite of you just got punched in the gut and, and you'd like a lengthy offseason to kind of put it behind you. Uh, you don't have that option. It's going to be really interesting, really across uh, FCS to see physically also how these kids all bounce back. David, that's an interesting question, right? I mean, they they just finished a season and now they're basically going back to back.
1: Yeah the 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 load management that coaches and their training staffs will have to monitor as the off season commences and then the traditional August training camps start. Uh, it, it it's gonna be uncharted territory for, for them all. And those who, who navigate it best will probably be the most successful teams. And, and the wild card in all this, Mike, is, again, those, those super seniors. Who sure. wants to return for another year? And how does that disappointment from this past week – affect how they might be thinking, do I want to come back and gear up again? Or am I just done? And do I want to move on?
0: You you mentioned uncharted territory for FCS football. It's uncharted territory really across college athletics with, with everything that's gone on with COVID, with the name, image, likeness, all of that that's coming. And a guy who is waiting waist deep, neck deep, hopefully not over his head (laughs) into into these uncharted waters uh, is the new ACC commissioner, Jim Phillips, the former athletic director at Northwestern and David, you got a pretty awesome opportunity there to to spend some time with the new commissioner. Uh, He's been on this listening tour, visiting all the conference campuses, visiting all the schools and you were able to tag along with him for his visits to UVA and Virginia tech. So what did you learn about the new commish?
1: Mike, I think I got a pretty good glimpse of him both personally and professionally. First of all, he was very gracious to uh, allow me to intrude essentially uh, uh, upon his day job. And and Virginia Tech and and UVA were were equally gracious, but to, to watch him interact With everyone, no, no matter whom he encountered, when when he and Carla Williams were strolling the lawn at at UVA, they would happen upon just students and. Hi, I'm Jim. How are you? And he, he's he's very engaging. He's he's very warm. Uh, equipment managers, the, the chef in Virginia Tech's new uh, student performance center where, where we had lunch. Phillips was a, literally a, a, applauding the meal and, and rightfully so because it was decadent. But it, that was striking. And then his his genuine and, and abiding concern for the wellness of college athletes, be it the, the hundreds un, under his care at Northwestern, the thousands now at the ACC, or the two in his own home. He has a son who runs track at Notre Dame and a daughter who plays soccer at Yale. And just listening to the questions he asked the athletes at Virginia and Virginia Tech about COVID and their mental and physical well-being in the midst of the pandemic and how they responded to the social issues of our time. It was fascinating to watch. And, and he engaged with them and wanted to know what they were thinking and did they feel supported? Did they feel safe? So, so that was striking. And then to watch him with administrators and coaches where he was very blunt about his priorities for the league. And they are twofold, football and television. And he was on a Zoom with all of Virginia's head coaches. And he told them, football eats first. And he he said, it's my experience. I've seen it happen. Football, you take care of that and it will raise the rest of your department. And he's right. That's what happened at Northwestern. When you know the Wildcats, they they reaped all this uh, financial windfall from the Big Ten Network, which was football driven. All of a sudden, you're able to do more. You start winning in football. You can raise more money. You you build this palatial, quarter of a billion dollar uh, athletics complex on the lake in Northwestern. It's gorgeous. It benefits all the programs. So it was, to me, it was a fascinating couple of days to watch
0: him. And it was a fascinating read, your article, if, if you haven't had the chance to read it. It's still up on richmond.com and uh, going behind the scenes with the new ACC commissioner. And, you know, David, you talked about his his concern or care for, for people's well-being. And you led your article with, I thought, a, a great and, and telling anecdote that maybe explains a little bit of, of where that mindset uh, came from. It was about Jim Phillips and his, his father. Uh, I believe it was moving into his freshman dorm at, at mm-hmm. Illinois. Um, why don't you share that? Because I thought that was great. Insight into why he thinks the way he does. Jim Phillips' dad,
1: Mike, was a, a Navy veteran and a blue collar engineer in Chicago who raised a family of 10. Jim Phillips is the youngest of <laughs> 10. He and his three brothers shared one room, and across the hall were their six sisters. And uh, Mr. Phillips John was, was his name. According to Jim, was a you know just a very soft-spoken guy. didn't didn't say a lot. But as he and and, and his wife were, were moving Jim in, into the dorm in Illinois, he just kind of lingered by the door. And before he left, he said, "If you do nothing else with your life, try and do some good for others." And Jim Phillips is essentially found his path to doing that and found it very quickly at Illinois, fell in love with, with college sports. Didn't, didn't play at, at the collegiate level, but became a team manager uh, in basketball in Illinois. When the Illini made the final four uh, in 1989, he, he was part of that run. So he, he quickly developed an affinity for college athletics And was a uh, graduate assistant coach at Arizona State Hmm. before a gentleman out there uh, converted him or transitioned him to administration.
0: Now I don't, I don't want to do, my daughter has learned what a spoiler is and and she likes to now, she doesn't quite get why it's bad. So she'll tell me everything that happens in a movie and then she'll tell me, okay, I won't tell you any more of the spoiler, even though she's already done the whole thing. So I don't want to spoil this great read. So like I said, if if you haven't read it yet, get to richmond.com and read the story. But I did want to ask you about one other thing in it, and I think you know what I'm going to ask. There was an incident when when he was young, 13 years mm-hmm. old, and he's hit by a drunk driver. Um, and you kind of chronicle how that uh, impacted him certainly then and impacted him the rest of his life. So uh, why don't you share that? Because I thought that was, was really fascinating as well.
1: He was hit on it. He was riding his bike mm. through a crosswalk in Chicago and just gets broadsided by a, a drunk driver broke both his femurs. Uh, he was in multiple body casts, didn't walk for nine months. The nuns at the local Catholic school came, came to his home uh, to help him finish his classes. He took confirmation classes at home. And yeah, it, it, it really gave him at, at such a tender age an appreciation for how fleeting life is, and it deepened his faith. He he comes from a devoted Catholic family, and he has carried that in into adulthood.
0: Now, I've, I've plugged that story because it's a great read, but just this morning, you posted another one that I, I thought was uh, equally interesting and, and, and worth people's time. And um, it was about the mentorship program that Virginia Tech Athletic Director Whit Babcock is a part of. Uh, he's been paired with the offensive coordinator at, at Michigan. Take us through how the program works, kind of how Whit got involved, and, and just what you learned about all that. Sure.
1: Uh, well, first of all, Mike, the, the organization is it, new. It was formed last year by Mike Loxley, the Maryland head football coach, who this season will be one of just a dozen black head football coaches in the 130-team football bowl subdivision. I mean, we're talking less than 10%. When a decade ago, the number was 19. I mean, that, that's a trend line that's beyond discouraging. So Coach Loxley formed the National Coalition of Minority Football Coaches. And among the people he recruited to his board of directors was someone that you and I both know, Desiree Reed Francois who's the athletic director at UNLV and previously worked under Whit Babcock at Virginia Tech well Desiree became the driving force behind what they now call the Coalition Academy which is a mentorship program and there are many such programs for minority coaches in in varying sports but i think the genius in this one and the the different what different differentiates it is this is not just a two or three day seminar. It's a one year program where an aspiring minority coach is paired with a sitting athletic director. And they have 12 of them here in, in, in the first go around and with Babcock, obviously because he knows Desiree and Desiree in turn recruited him to participate in this. Witt has teamed or partnered with Josh Gattis, who's the offensive coordinator in Michigan. He's a former All-ACC safety at Wake Forest. In fact, he he was a star on the 2006 Deacons ACC championship team, the program's first in uh, 36 years. But and they've already started. You know, they've been on Zooms together. They've texted. They've emailed. They've talked on the phone. And it was just interesting to to talk to both men and to Desiree uh, about the program and and the deep dives they do and interview prep, communication skills, networking with search firms and ads and uh, branding and fundraising. Just so many different avenues to to go down to prepare these coaches for the opportunity to take over the big whistle.
0: Yeah, I think the preparation is great. Even better, David, to me, is the connection because you know this. I mean, the way you get jobs oftentimes is who recommended you? An ad mm-hmm. has an opening, and, and they talk to the people they're close to, other ads, and say, "Hey, if you had an opening, where would you go?" So I know some people on social media right away jump to the conclusion that uh, Gaddis is going to replace one day, and that's what this relationship <laughs> is about. But it's not, right? It's 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 about Whit Babcock getting to know this this potential candidate. And sure, if there was an opening at Tech, that makes sense. But you know, Whit Babcock is going to be somebody that other ads call and and say. Hey, you know, you've been in this program, you've been in the ACC, anybody you see as as an up and comer, anybody you'd recommend. um, And now he has this relationship with Gaddis because, you know, too often it's do you have a guy in your program? You can recommend him, but do you want to lose him? And I just really like the idea that um, around the country, ADs are going to get to know some of these potential candidates so that it isn't this guy against the guy who gets the recommendations, the guy who everybody already knows. Now these guys are getting their name out there. They're getting known. And um, ADs are going to be talking about young coaches, up-and-coming coaches, minority candidates like Gaddis.
1: Well, and, and, and Mike, you make a really good point. And I thought Gaddis had a, a, a couple telling quotes in, in the piece. One where he said, the ability to have with Babcock as a reference mm-hmm. is is just huge because it's it's not somebody he's he's working for. It, it's someone else who's prominent in the field. And and, and then he had it he had a great line. He said, People often tell me it's not what you know, it's who you know. He said, That's not necessarily true. He said, It's who knows you. <laughs> And and there is there there's there's a very nuanced difference there, but but I I think it's telling, and I think it's true, and indeed it's who knows you and who will go to bat for you, and help you when when that opening or that opportunity
0: arises. Yeah, Because as, as we know, anytime there's a college football head coach opening, basketball opening, any of these jobs, you can write a, a list of 14 guys who'd be potentially great for the job. There are probably 28 more who'd be great for it, who you're not aware of, hadn't heard of, didn't think of. So it, it's so competitive. And when you're talking about, hey, you know, this isn't affirmative action, right? This isn't propping up get people to make up for, this is about making sure these avenues are there. And, and, and that's, I think the beauty of the program is these connections that might not normally be made, they're being made. And and there's just a million ways. I think it helps these candidates and, um, it will be fascinating to, to see, um, you know, does it get competitive with the ADs? You know, does, does the guy you mentored get the job first? (laughs) Um, you know, what, what kind of impact can you have on these careers? But I think it can only be a good thing. Um, for these you know, up and coming coaches to get their foot in the door. Like you said, not just with the coach they work for or the AD they work for, but to get their name out there. And and you'll see, I, I bet you'll see in a couple of years when we do these articles on possible candidates, you're going to see more of these guys because the ADs are going to mention these guys to reporters too. They're going to say, Hey, you know, one guy to keep an eye on for this job or that job. I'd look at this guy that I mentored a year or two ago and, um, I think it's going to open a lot of doors.
1: I I agree with you, and th- they need to be opened. And you know, Josh is is thirty seven, and and it, I mean, he's already worked for James Franklin, Butch Davis, Nick Saban, and Jim Harbaugh. I mean, the, this young man is fast tracking it now, and he if if he continues to 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 plug and and if he's patient i think he will get his chance to 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 be a head coach and you know props to these ad's to mike who are you know volunteering for this and it's it's a year-long commitment and and everyone knows just what incredibly turbulent times these are for college sports you know they're, they're they're all trying to figure out how to balance the books In the wake of the pandemic, they've got this name, image, and likeness train coming down the tracks at several hundred miles an hour that's going to hit July 1. They have no idea what's going to happen there with the courts, with Congress, with the NCAA. And in the midst of all that, they're giving their time. And in in, in Babcock, he, I thought he made a really good point. He said, "Yes, I'm volunteering my time." He said, "But this broadens my horizons too. This helps me. I I learn from the the, the coaches." that that i'm partnered with because he he volunteers in in several of these efforts and i thought that was interesting that he sees it as a win for him as well
0: yeah i think that's smart because one the obvious you get to know who the young and -and up-and-coming coaches are right you get the inside track if you have a relationship um you you know you know where you might turn if you have an opening in, in one of these sports but um Two, you mentioned all of the things that are on the plate of somebody like Whit Babcock or Carla Williams right now. And um, I bet a program like this, <laughs> you know, we always talk about our favorite parts of the day <laughs> and, and I'm betting that this is a little bit refreshing, rejuvenating, to be, you know what I mean? <laughs> Steeped yes. in the sports part of being an athletic director and not worried about the courts and the licensing and the name image, all that. So I, I bet there it is a win-win and, and it's going to be very interesting to follow where some of these guys. End up.
1: Yep, no, no, no question. I mean, there's a, there's a serious ACC flavor, Mike, in in this program. I mean, three other ACC athletic directors are involved: Dan Radakovich from Clemson, Jack Swarbrick from Notre Dame, Duke's Kevin White, and there's there's two ACC assistants: Traveras Robinson, who's Miami's defensive backs coach, and Tony Elliott, who's done a great job as Clemson's offensive coordinator.
0: Yeah. It's funny. You mentioned the lack and and kind of appalling lack of African-American head coaches. But if you look around the ACC, there are some guys, um, at clemson at boston college uh in those coordinator roles who are pretty ready uh and it will be interesting to see when when they get their calls and and get their shots and uh again all of this goes to hopefully reverse that trend so thanks for listening you can subscribe to teal and barber on apple podcasts or wherever you find your favorite pods and please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the td you can find special promotional offers available at richmond.com also where you can find both of david's articles we discussed today uh, the one on the mentorship program and the one on his time with new commissioner jim phillips today's show was produced by dean hoffmeyer teal and barber is a podcast of the richmond times dispatch and richmond.com for david teal i'm mike barber thanks for listening be healthy and safe and please join david and me again in two weeks